You may be seated. Amen. You may be seated. No one prays like Jim Murphy. <laughs> that was not an earthquake. That was Jim praying. We love you, man. Good to have you here. Dismissing our children this morning as they head downstairs, trusting the Lord is continuing to be at work in them. Thankful that the volunteers continue to serve us in this way. And uh, to God be the glory in their life. We're in a series this month called Solas. Solas. The focus here is on the five solas of the Reformation. It may seem random, but not so much. Like, what are we doing this for? Out of nowhere. You know, like, we're in Matthew for 27 years, and then all of a sudden, you want to be in five solas? What's going on? You may think this is just random, like we're just filling time or something, but not so much. This evening, Sunday evening here, is a monumental step in the life of this church and in the vision that the Lord has called us to. And We thought as we're in a month of sending Covenant Church to Baldwinsville, wouldn't it make a lot of sense to focus some attention on some foundations that we will share together and move forward in together? Okay, that's really what this is about. These five solas are foundations uh, for the Protestant church, but very much so foundations for us as Renovation Church and Covenant Church together. That's what this series is hoping to hone in on so that we can continue to build on that foundation and also move forward in that foundation in the vision and the mission that we feel called to together. That's what this is about. It's about moving forward on a solid biblical foundation together. So last week, Jeremy kicked it off with sola scriptura, which means uh, scripture alone, the word of God. And today, we look at sola gratia, which means grace alone. Did I say it right? How'd I do, Ethan? Good. Thumbs up from Ethan. Sola gratia, meaning grace alone. And you know, these aren't just random things. Like if I could just make one quick uh, connection here. You looked at our passage last week from 2 Timothy chapter 3, and he talks about the sacred writings, Paul. Right? These sacred writings, these scriptures that are inspired of God. God breathed. Right? They are able to make you wise unto salvation. Do you remember that? These scriptures are able to make you wise unto salvation. And so while we talk about these foundations, I want to point out that this is about salvation. This is about salvation. It can only be saved as necessary for Scripture. For our salvation, to have scripture for our salvation. Right? And we will see today that grace is very much connected to our salvation. I'm going to ask four questions today and hopefully answer them in a clear way. All right. One, from what must we be saved? 
From what must we be saved? Number two, by whom are we saved? Number three, on what basis are we saved? And number four, for what purpose are we saved? Hopefully that can guide us through our time together. In Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, so grab your Bibles, look at the screen, Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, follow along with me. From what must we be saved? By whom are we saved? On what basis are we saved? And for what purpose are we saved? Got to have crystal clear answers to these questions if we're going to move forward together. Amen? Amen. We can have no ambiguity about these questions if we're going to faithfully move forward together. No ambiguity. Crystal clear clarity. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And you say, oh, Ephesians 2 again? Yes. Listen to these words. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Verse 4, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Father, we pray that Your Spirit would apply these words to us, strengthen us, save us, and remind us, and then inspire us for Your good glory. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Many of you may know that I dabble a little bit in a little side gig with real estate, and uh, I go and I check out places that we may or may not buy, uh, and we try to assess how much it's going to take to get it to a place where we can actually rent it out at a reasonable rate. And uh, I have a friend in this real estate world that makes sure I'm not an idiot uh, in many ways, but also uh, someone that I just uh, bounce ideas off of, someone that's got a lot of experience. But there's kind of a running joke with this friend uh, about, about his estimation. 
You know, like you go in and he's a hyper-optimistic guy. And so he comes into the situation and he looks, oh, yeah, oh, 10 grand, 10 grand, 10 grand. That's all, that's all. And in my head, I'm thinking, 30. <laughs> right? Because you learn over time that the optimism of this brother that I love so much needs to be tripled uh, because we've been burned a few times in this. Well, you know, you get one of those answers. There's not much you can do. You He's an underestimator. He just is. It's okay. We need people in the world that can, you know, have that kind of hope and optimism in life. Do we not in 2022? Right? Well, this brother has it, okay? So we, uh, it's kind of a tendency, I think, for us to be underestimators, especially in reference to sin. We're underestimators. We don't have an honest assessment, an honest evaluation of the depth of our sin. But Paul here in chapter 2 wakes us up. He gives us an honest assessment of the nature of our sin. Right? Look at the opening verses. Right? You're dead. You're dead. In your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You're following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the mind. On and on. We see here that sin leaves us condemned. It leaves us captive to a particular course of life. And it also corrupts us. Three C's. Sin has a condemnation with it. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Many of you may be in the reading plan with us, right? Read together. And this past week, we spent some time in Genesis 3. And we saw uh, the, the moment in which Adam and Eve disobeyed the word of the Lord. And what was that promised curse that would come upon them if they were to discount and disobey the word, the command? If you eat of it, you shall surely die. And so we see here, right? You were dead in your trespasses and sins. Sin kills us spiritually. That is not some mistake or mishap or misstep or an unfortunate incident, but it is a rebellious act against God, and it places us in spiritual death. Sin condemns us before God. We live under the condemnation of sin, and we're dead. But not only that, there's a course, right? There's the following of the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. That there's a course of life that we're held captive to, that we're stuck in. We're following Satan in his evil ways. Not only are we condemned, but we're captive to a certain course of life that is consistent with the very nature of Satan himself. 
And last, there's corruption. We were by nature children of wrath. Our very nature is corrupted, right? We're by nature children of wrath. And now we are subject to God's holy and righteous judgment because of that. It's both action and nature, the depth of sin. And it brings a condemnation, a just condemnation on us. Based on this just short, concise, honest estimation of sin, I think it wakes us up to the reality that we desperately need a Savior. We desperately need to be saved from the condemnation, from the course, and the corruption of sin. All of us are in this place needing to be saved from the horrors and the depths of sin, from the death that we live in apart from any salvation. And then we come to verse 4. But God. Two of the sweetest verses in the Scriptures. But God. Now understand this. It could say something different, justly. Verse 4 could have read, Therefore God. On the basis of that state, on the basis of that nature, on the basis of your rebellion and in your sin, it could have read justly, therefore God punished you. Therefore God poured out His wrath on you. That could have been a just sentence in the Scriptures. But that's not what it says. It doesn't say therefore. It says but. But God. But is an adversative conjunction. We were going down this way, but that word but takes us down another way. There's a contrast. But God. Such contrast, such surprise is about to overtake us. Because while He could have justly condemned us in our sin as an expression of His justice and His faithfulness and His nature, we are told something radically different. But God, but God, united us to the person of Christ in His saving work. Hear that. Right, Doug? This is what God did. But God, in just two words, we have the hero of history who united us to the person of Christ in His saving work. Now, you've got to pause there for a minute and go back a chapter. So turn the page back to chapter 1. There's some language here that connects us back to some other phrases in chapter 1. I want you to come with me there. Verses 18 through 21 says this. And again, in this particular section, Paul is telling the Ephesians how he's been praying for them. I've been praying for you. Here's what I've been praying about. I've been thanking God. And I've been asking Him to do a number of things. But here's where he hones in. He says, I want you, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, 
that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. According to the working of his great might, verse 20, listen to this, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. That's what God did. He worked his might in such a way to raise Jesus from the dead and seat him in the heavenly places. That's a work God did in Christ. Now you flip back, go back to chapter 2. Look at what it says. Even when we were dead, he made us alive together. What? With Christ. And look at this. And raised us up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. What is going on here? The very saving work that God accomplished in Christ... He unites us to, so that now we are with Christ. All of salvation comes through union with Christ. Any blessing that we talk about is because of our union with Christ. That is the very heartbeat of the gospel. What God has done in Christ, he unites us to him. you got to see that. Apart from union with Christ, there is not one saving blessing that we can claim. But if we're in Christ, we have all of it. So that's what God does. He unites us to the person of Christ in his saving work. He made us alive together with Christ. That same resurrection, he raised us up with him. And he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. By whom are we saved? God, from what are we saved? Our sin. God has saved us in Jesus Christ from our sin. I want you to hear that this morning. That's what we hold dear to. That's a foundation on which we will continue to live together and do mission together. It's on the simple truth that God has saved us in Jesus Christ from our sins. When just the last time you just thought about the simplicity of that statement? That's what Paul is telling the Ephesians. That's what we're being reminded of today. And that, if you've never heard that before at all, you've never embraced that at all, hear it this morning. That is your only hope. You must be saved from your sins. It's a much more problematic issue than you might give it credit for in your own estimation. You must be saved. The wonderful news of the gospel is that God has done something. God has saved us in Christ from our sins. Salvation is God's work. Jesus accomplishes it in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. And God, by the Spirit, the same Spirit that raises Jesus from the dead, applies it to us through a real and vital union with Christ himself. That's the good news of the gospel, amen? That's it. 
We stand on that. We continue in that. God has saved us in Christ from our sin. That is what brings us here today. That's why we sing. That's why we celebrate. That's why those weird people up front with their hands up, what are they doing? They're just celebrating and surrendering to that reality. It's an amazing thing to think about. God has saved us in Christ from our sin. That is the gospel. And we ask this third question. On what basis did God do it? Man, that's important. On what basis? And I think that brings us into focus of what we're talking about this morning. On what basis does God do it? Well, it's, what basis is it not? He's going to tell us, right? It's, it's not our own doing, right? Verse 8, this is not your own doing. He has not saved us in Christ from our sins on the basis of something that we have done. So if you think that at all, correct, be corrected this morning. It's not your own doing. You did not do anything that would merit it. You did not do anything that would earn it. Okay, So it's not your own doing. Also, it is not the result of works. And you think, oh man, I do all, I check all the boxes. I do all the things I'm supposed to do. I'm a pretty good person. 51-49, mostly good. So I'll stand before heaven, and on the basis of my 51%, God will receive me into his heavenly kingdom and accept me in, 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 uh, and save me from my sin. He's saying it's not your own doing, and it is not the result of works. You hear that? Don't think for one minute that God saved you in Christ from your sin on the basis of your works your good works. He does not do that. It is not according to that. It is not on the basis of that. And because it is not our own doing, and because it is not the result of works, there is absolutely no room for human pride in reference to salvation. No one can boast. You've got nothing to say in and of your own merit or your own doing in the presence of Almighty God. You've got no case There's no pride. It's not your own doing. It's not the result of works. There is no room for boasting. Salvation from beginning to end is a work of grace. That's what I want you to hear this morning. Salvation from beginning to end is a work of grace. For by grace you have been saved through faith. On what basis? For by grace you have been saved through faith. Verse 5 and verse 8, saying it twice. If you didn't hear it the first time, hear it again. For by grace you have been saved through faith. Amen? On what basis? On the basis of God's grace. Verse 4, on the basis of His mercy. He is rich in mercy. That's the nature of God. God is rich in mercy. According to the great love with which He loved us, He is great in love. Rich in mercy. Other ways of saying that He saves us on the basis of who He is. Gracious, merciful, loving. Not on the basis of who we are or what we've done. It's all an expression of His nature. It's who He is. So what is grace? Grace is unmerited favor. Let's just simplify it. It's unmerited favor. 
God is saving you by grace. His unmerited favor. In doing a bunch of reading and trying to bring it all together, I could probably cite a number of folks here. I'm saying this this morning. Grace is unmerited favor freely and voluntarily bestowed. Why that next phrase? Because the unmerited favor can have absolutely zero sense of obligation. Right? We live in a day, an age of entitlement where even grace we feel entitled to. Right? Saying, to understand grace, you must know that it's unmerited favor, that it's freely and voluntarily bestowed. There is absolutely zero sense of obligation. God owes you nothing. And yet, he, he graciously gives. He owes you nothing. And yet he graciously gives. By grace alone, God has saved you in Jesus Christ from your sin. By grace alone. That's it. Guy Waters says, This doctrine means that nothing the sinner does commends him to the grace of God. And that the sinner does not cooperate with God in order to merit this salvation. That's important. You do not cooperate with God. God does it. In Christ. Save you from sin. According and on the basis of His grace. Salvation from beginning to end is the sovereign gift of God to the unworthy and undeserving. Sola gratia. By grace alone. He's unmoved by us. I was listening to a song because, uh, you know, sometimes I dabble in some interesting worship tunes that I might not even tell you because I just like how they sound, you know what I mean? But we would never sing that at church. But maybe at home we might, you know? It's a lot of songs we sing at home we may not sing in church, right? Yeah, you're laughing because you know. And those who aren't laughing, they're like, does he know? <laughs> they were singing What Moves Me, and they were playing the voice of God, you do. You move me. You move me, and I thought, oh boy, this is not good. No, God is not moved by us. We don't cause him to, to, to be moved in and of, it's, it's in and of himself. In the Valley of Vision has this prayer that I love. That I think really not just explains a doctrine, but explains our very lives. He says this, the, the, the author of the, the, the Mover is the title of the prayer. He says, Thou dost not move men like stones, but dost endue them with life, not to enable them to move without thee, but in submission to thee, the first mover. I love this. Oh Lord, I am astonished at the difference between my receivings and my deservings. Do you feel that this morning? As you consider your sin? You feel that? Oh Lord, I'm astonished at the difference between my receivings and my deservings. Between the state I am now in and my past gracelessness. Between the heaven I'm bound for and the hell I merit, this question 
Who made me to differ but thee? Who made me to differ but thee? Did you ever have that moment? Think of the blessings that you've received from God, the grace of Christ. Look in the mirror and you say, How? You think about friends who have wandered. Why did I not? Why didn't I wander into that sin? I know my soul. I know my sin. Like, I could have easily train wrecked my life. Why? Is this a pat on the back moment? In hey, you're better. Is that what that is? Who made me to differ? Who made me to differ but thee? He goes on later to say, For I was no more ready to receive Christ than were others. I could not have begun to love thee hadst thou not first loved me or been willing, unless thou hadst first made me so. It's God's grace. His being. His sovereign will and desire to save a people from their sins through Christ, not on the basis of their works or their merit, but on the basis of His nature and the work of His Son, Jesus Christ. Salvation is a gift of grace. And it's to be received by faith, right? It's the gift of God. What do we do with a gift? Let's not complicate it. We receive it. We receive it. What do you do with a gift? Receive it. How do you receive it? By faith, right? For it is by grace you have been saved through what? Faith, right? We're going to talk about that, I think, next week. So I don't need to emphasize too much there. And don't be confused. Faith is not a work, but simply a way to receive God's grace and his gift. The Baptist Catechism says, what is faith in Jesus Christ? Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace. There it is again. Faith in Jesus Christ is a saving grace, whereby we receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he has offered to us in the gospel. So what do you do? Receive it. Rest upon it. Rejoice in it. That's what it's meant to do. And of course, respond in gratitude, right? Thank God. Thank Him. What do you do when someone gives you something of this magnitude? You live a life of gratitude and thankfulness. Thankfulness. That's how you respond to a gift. So receive the gift of grace in Christ. Rest on Him. Rely upon Him and Him alone. Just receive it and embrace it and thank God for it. From what have you been saved? From sin. Right? The condemnation, the course, and the consequences. Been, been, been saved from sin. Who saved you? God saved you. On what basis did he save you? On the basis of his grace. Not anything else. Sola gratia. And last question, for what purpose did God save you? Let me pause for a moment and just say, God has such purpose in dispensing His grace to us. Amen? Such purpose. Such purpose. Go back to verse 7. It says, 
Why did he do this? Why did he unite us to Christ on the basis of his grace as we receive it by faith? Why did he do that? So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God wanted to tell a story in eternity. God wanted to display his grace in kindness toward his people throughout all eternity. That's why our salvation is on the basis of his grace alone. In many ways, eternity will be us observing and standing in awe of redemptive history and almost a sense where God is saying, look at what I have done. Look at what my grace has done in the lives of the most undeserved, unmerited people. Look at what I've done. Look at what my son has accomplished for sinners. And as we stare at that, right, Revelation 7 tells us what we will do. We'll sing. And we will sing this song. Salvation belongs to our God. Right? And to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Why did God save us by grace alone? For his good purposes. What are his good purposes? That he might display his grace and kindness toward us in the coming age. And what will we do? That's what heaven's hope is. We're going to be able to see that. And then we're going to sing. Salvation belongs to our God. And to the one who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen? It doesn't belong to us. It's not something we've earned. It's not something we've accomplished. It is God's salvation. But not only that, it's so that we might do good works. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You go back to verses 1 through 3, we were living and walking in, the, in accordance with the prince of the power of the air. We were following Satan all around in our life. And now we say that there is a divine purpose and grace to not just radically transform our state and our uh, 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 standing before God, but also radically transform our lives, our actions. The grace has a way to powerfully renew our heart and also renew the habits of our lives. So we are saved to do good works. We are saved by grace alone to do good works. Grace-based good works. Not salvation-earning good works. Very important. Not guilt-motivated good works. These are grace-based good works. Right? Very important that we understand the order. Grace and salvation lead to works. The root is grace. The fruit is works. We like to flip that around because we're confused and we believe the lies of the evil one. We think that if we do good works, we'll have grace. No, the order matters. It's a matter of life and death and eternity. 
You're saved by grace according to the sovereign will of God. He does something. He saves you from your sin by uniting you to his son in his death, resurrection, and ascension, seated with him in the heavenly places. And because of that transforming action of God, the fruit is good works. Don't mix up the order. So we see that. We're not saved by works, we're saved for works. That's the purpose of God. Works are not the root, they are the fruit. And what kind of fruit? Good works, in contrast to the evil ones of verse 1 and 3. Good works. Works that God wanted that display grace and represent His nature. Because that's who we are, we're image. We have been created, we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus. We're image bearers of Christ, God. So let's not be confused. God's grace produces holiness in us. Grace does not mean we can live and do whatever we want and live without regard to God's commands. It's the absolute opposite. Grace is the thing that empowers us to hear the command and then live in obedience to it with joy, actually. With joy. So grace produces holiness in us, right? Verse 1 and 2 of Romans 6. What shall we say then? Or do we continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Are you nuts? If you believe that, you're missing the whole point of grace. You're missing the purpose and the power. By no means. Hello, McFly? Right? How can we who died to sin, still live in it. So grace produces holiness in us. God had a purpose in saving us by grace alone, the work of His Son. And that was to display His grace in all eternity, and even now, to demonstrate His grace in the good works that we do as a fruit of the grace that he's given to us. Amen? From what have we been saved? Sin. Yeah, come on. By whom have we been saved? God. Right? On what basis are we saved? By his grace. And for what purpose are we saved? To do good works. So receive it. Trust in it. Thank God for it. Let's get to work together. Isn't that what J- tonight, January 9th, 2022, as we send a, 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 a significant portion of our membership to Baldensville, is that not a grace-based good work that we're doing? If it's for any other reason, let's not do it. Cancel the service. If we're doing everything, for all that tonight, for some other purpose, kingdom building, just want to change, sick of hearing, hearing Maisie all the time, whatever, whatever weird reason we can come up with that's getting us excited about planting a church, scratch it. It's got to be grace-based, gospel-rooted, good work for the sake of the glory of God in the world. That's why we're doing that tonight. That's why we're moving forward. Sola Scriptura, sola gratia, by grace alone, God has saved you from your sin in Christ. Amen?
Amen. Thanks for my clunky, long, I'm tired sermon. I love you guys. Let's pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you so much for this word, just for the, for the grace that is declared and now demonstrated in our lives. We pray your spirit would continue to reassure us today, draw us near. Uh, may we walk away from, from confidence and assurance based on what we do. May we continue to rest and trust in Christ. And may our lives be full of gratitude, thanking you, not just as an emotion, like, oh, I feel grateful, but actions of gratitude. People who are willing and excited to just get to work for the glory of your name and for the, for the display of your grace in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.